So there's actually a slight yeah. delay, right? Is there a delay? No. But it's it not like a swear delay or anything. Yeah. <laughs> I want you to say like what your official title is. <laughs> what are you? Um, so you want me to say... Well, I thought you might say like, my name is Todd. And then I would say, sir, do you have any other qualifications? And you could say, well, I'm also your father. Okay. <laughs> Hi, I'm Liza. I'm the sewing one. Hi, I'm Megan. I'm the writing one. And today we have a special guest. My name is Todd, and I'm the proud dad of these two wonderful women. Where's the iron? Can mice and birds sew? Oh, Polly, no, don't cut right up on. that dress. Is Where's the iron? Oh my God, I'm sweating. Where's the iron? Taffeta, <laughs> muslin. Ooh, I'd wear that. Is that, that machine even threaded? We are on location in uh, Todd's music studio. If you notice a difference in audio quality today. Can we say where it is? If you want to, yeah. Well, we're in beautiful rural Orange County, North Carolina. Not to be confused with very unrural Orange County, California. And questionably and, a beautiful mess. And we are in the, the height of the most beautiful season with perfect outdoor temperatures, mm -hmm. sunny, brilliant Carolina blue skies. It is really quite stunning. It's really nice. It's a perfect backdrop for this incredible movie. It's lovely here. All right, Megan, you take it. Okay. You are listening to There's No Thread, the podcast that asks, could they, would they, and should they? So whatever it is that gets sewn in the movie we are ripping into today. Ready? Yes. yes. Today, we are turning our sewing and writing eyes upon three amigos. <laughs> this movie was released in 1986, written by... Oh, um, I have the Wikipedia here if you want to... All right. So here we have our writers and we have our director. Okay. This movie was released in 1996. Nope. It is... Oops. Not 1996. This movie was released in 1986. It is an American Western no, comedy no, no. film. Don't read the Wikipedia. That's the worst when you can tell a podcast is just reading Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> say it in your I was just going to say... Um, here, I'm going to ask you. Okay. All right. Today we're looking at Three Mayos. Megan, when was this released? Um, 1986. Who is the writer? We have three. Steve Martin, Lauren Michaels, and Randy Newman. And it was directed by... John Landis. And the costume design is by Deborah Nadulman. Woo! Go Deborah. Okay, so the elevator pitch of this movie is... Who needs heroes when we have actors? <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I wrote down a little um, synopsis or a little log line. I said three actors go to Mexico to pretend to save a city and end up doing exactly that. Oh, that's good. I like it. <laughs> okay, so we have Chevy Chase, who plays Dusty Bottoms. And I wrote down a word for each actor, and I put him down as ditzy. Ditzy Dusty Bottoms, uh, which is played by Chevy Chase. He's also kind of a dick. Yeah, he's like a little bit of a dick. But, that's, yeah. I mean, that's but he's also of, ditzy. Yeah. I don't know if that's more unique to the, <laughs> to the actor. <laughs> um, and he's one of the three amigos. And then we have Steve Martin, who is played by... Uh, Steve Martin. Wow. We have Lucky Day, who is played by Steve Martin. I think you were right the first time. Yeah, because he is so Steve Martin. He's Steve Martin. He plays uh, another of the amigos, and his uh, character is Lucky Day. Um, and I noted him to be egalitarian, because he spends most of the movie trying to uh, make a pitch for a more equal and loving society. Oh, that's really true. He's yeah. got the whole, like... Trying to uh, t explain democracy and... Yeah, yeah. He, he brings in the three branches of government. He he isn't actually the one that wants to give to the homeless first. That would be Martin Short. But he does second that. <laughs> um, and he just seems to want to make everybody get along. He's very earnest. He is. Although that is the word that I have for uh, our third character, which is Martin Short. You're right. Um, and he plays Ned Niederlander. And he is the most earnest of our group and the third of the three amigos so those are our kind of main characters the three amigos are trying to save carmen's little town um and she is played by where are we here oh, oh there's sure. yeah. Teresa martinez and she's the daughter of the head of the village that they're trying to save and she's sort of our love interest oh do you want to call out any of these names that you recognize mm. just because it's kind of funny like like who's that the, one the german that one? guy you liked or he's in it. Oh, yeah. And then, of course, like, like there's there's small parts played by um, oh, Phil Hartman, John Lovitz. Who uh, plays Joe the main Montano. bad guy? Oh, uh, El Guapo? Yeah. Or the German. No, no, the main bad guy. Alfonso Arau. You know, I don't think we need to do the rest of them. Let's not do the rest of them. Yeah. Um, it's neat that this, this show has three writers. And it's Steve Martin, who was in, acted in it. Lauren Michaels, who, of course, is Saturday Night Live. 
and Randy Newman. This is his only writing credit that I was able to find because uh, he is, of course, a music guy. He's I Love L.A. and Toy Story and like yeah. all that stuff. That's interesting. Well, to his credit, the, the music uh, is... It seems to be pretty genuine with the proper instrumentation with several varieties of guitars, fiddles, and a trumpet. And that's a that's a pretty much a traditional setup. And the band bands were really playing, although they may have not been playing live, but they certainly sounded very genuine. That's cool. Todd, have you seen this before? This movie I think I have, but I don't recall when. It's been a long time ago. Because if it came out in eighty six I could have seen it. We might have rented on video or something, but yes. you don't think you saw it in theater. Well, I mean, we were so cheap, we probably didn't rent it until 10 years after it came out. <laughs> yeah, because of the dollar rental. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, okay, so let's set up the world of the movie. I really enjoy how this is like, it's almost a meta movie. It's very actors put in a real world situation that is also very film-like and uh, full of movie action, but it's real but it's not real, and they're not real, but they are real. They're real heroes, but they're not heroes. It's such a classic story. These are washed-up actors. I mean, they were, after all, fired from uh, this Goldstein studio, which, of course, is Metro MGM back in the day, I assume. And they're fired, and they've lost hope. And then there's this whole, um, I think in Greek tragedies called Deus Ex Machina, where something is horribly wrong, and then out of the blue... An incredible thing happens. Oh, this got out of the machine, right? Yeah, yeah got yeah. out of the machine. An incredible thing well, happens. You know that from writing school. And and, um, and it saves the day. Well, they they're standing out in their in their briefs because they've been stripped of their costumes by the costume ladies, and up rides the bicycle with a telegram telling them to come down to Mexico. We have a job for you. Mm. Unbeknownst to them, it's not exactly what they had in mind. Yes, totally. Um, and I did love uh, how um, any chance you have, you, you, any chance you have to like do a stab at the movie studio will just happen. And this was just like such an overt like, don't you dare try to unionize, don't you dare try to ask for more money, don't you dare try to stand up to us in any way. We are the man, and we will literally strip the clothes off your back the moment that you try to get anything yes. more. I love how they were like, we love working for free. Yeah, <laughs> I would like to continue to work yeah, for free. Line with, yeah. And then what? Ten costume ladies rush out from stage left yes. and strip them immediately and amazing. rush away. They become the six clothes. wardrobe mistresses in their matching purple smocks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Silently ripping their clothes up. They become clothesless, homeless, incomeless, all within about Penny 10 seconds. Penniless, right. Yeah. 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 But then a miracle happens. Yes. The telegram. But it won't be the first time in this movie that happens. No. We get to, we get it over and over and it was so much fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, um, Megan, would you describe sort of is if you're doing script notations, what gets sewn in this? And actually, I have a quick, a quick aside about script notations. In costume design school, we are taught to ignore those and or black them out. Yeah. Are you taught to write them? No, I really, okay. um, I, it's funny because in the last, the script that I'm working on, there's like a tattoo element. There's a number of things that are just like out of my um, artistic jurisdiction and I don't even try to like I, I describe them a little bit but I'm like someone who's a professional is going to look at this and know what to do based yeah. on what's happening in the scene more than like my ridiculous explanation yeah. of what's happening so I will say like I, I will you know use descriptive wording but I don't actually know what wait I'm wait what doing. are yeah. these things again so what we're talking about, about is a it, when you have a script yeah. um, there will be a little note that describes something physically and it's uh, like you know, she walked in, she was wearing a blue dress. Now, unless there's a reference, a spoken reference in the dialogue to the dress being blue, you, as a costume person, you were taught to ignore that completely. Yeah. And so I was wondering if writers are taught to write that sort of thing, because we don't use it. And- right. Excellent question. Uh, yes and no. I mean, I was never specifically taught to... You're, you're kind of taught to... Um, be very uh, respectful, at least to me, to be respectful of the different departments, right? Like I'm not going to put camera angles in the script, although sometimes people do. I'm going to, I'm not going to put like production, like heavy production design description, although I'll just say like we're in a hotel and it's fancy and it's overlooking a pool because we need the pool because she jumps into the pool, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then as far as costume design, it kind of depends on, um, how familiar I am with what they would be wearing, which I guess as a writer, you mm-hmm. should be familiar with what they're all wearing. But again, how relevant their clothing is to the script. It's like know. you kind of have to assume that 
just because you're picturing it a certain way, the costume designer might have something else in mind. You don't want to block yeah. them from it. And it's more like a, a, a style that fits a personality, like kind of tailored, put together. Like you would say things like that versus oh, yeah. like, like tailored, put she together, looks not put together, she looks dots. fancy. Yeah, but I wouldn't necessarily say she's wearing polka dots unless polka dots come up later. Now, are these costumes genuine to the era? 1916? Well, let's get into that a little bit. Yeah. Separately. Okay. So can you identify what gets sewn in this movie um, and like describe it a little? I was going to say one more thing about what you just asked. Oh, yeah. Sometimes actors are told to mark out the stage directions and the descriptions oh. of their of their emotional behavior. So there would be things like, he feels sad? Yes. Or okay. like, um, she crosses here and, and, um, and, you know, or especially like with crying, like sometimes it'll be in a script, but like the director might not necessarily want them to like get to full tears or the actor can't get to full, you know? So it's, it's, um, I remember Joan would always tell the actors to mark out. Mark it out. Uh, Joan Darling. Our... So basically everyone is being told to mark out stage directions. Yeah. Well, I think the script, you know, they say the script versus like a novel or some other form of writing is a, is a blueprint, right? So it's really just like a very basic thing for all these different departments to look at and like kind of make their own and the director to oversee all of it. So yes, to your original question, I try to keep it as, as, as un in there as possible, as un yeah. trying to like oversee it as possible. That's funny. So now I'm wondering why are there ever any stage directions if no one is using them? <laughs> <laughs> well, I would think that like, uh, you know, a director would look at it as a, as a possibility. So it's in there a little bit. Like, I wonder if it's like, I want to influence whoever reads this a tiny bit. Yes. Yeah. Or like if I had control over every single aspect of this, this is what it would look like to the best of my ability, but I know that I won't. So here's my best effort. All right. We're assuming everyone's seen this, but why don't you describe the moment when it, when they decide they're going to sew something and then it's revealed. It's sort of light and kind. The whole movie up to that very last scene is kind of light and sort of fanciful. And then there's this sort of bloody shootout. And the, the only way that the... Um, the good guys, that goodness prevails is by using the talents of the seamstresses and the uh, sewers in that little town to make a bunch of similar costumes that the three amigos already uh, have been wearing throughout the whole movie. And so everybody, all the townspeople dress in these costumes and are shooting from all kinds of different directions, clearly to confuse the bad guys and it, it, it evidently it succeeds and most of the bad guys run away and the main bad guy gets killed. So I guess after all of that happens, they all walk out and we realize that they've all been wearing the same costumes. Yeah. You know, and of course they don't talk about, well, where did all this beautiful material come yeah, from? Yeah, well, I'm well, going to talk about Guess that. what Liza's going to talk about. <laughs> oh yeah, so I think we should, we should just identify what happens in this movie sewing-wise. So he says, uh, we have to defend the town. What can we do to defend the town? Who's got a skill? And they all kind of look around. And then one of the ladies says, we can sew. Yeah. And then everyone cheers. And that's the end of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. So she says, we can sew. And then we have like a really great sewing montage. And then there's the shootout scene where they all come out. They, they are shooting from different angles. And they all appear to be the same three men. But they're everywhere. They're all around them. They're surrounded by these same three men. How's it happening? And then at the end, they all come out. It's kind of a Spartacus, like I am Spartacus moment. Everybody's... In the same We're outfit. We're all in the same yeah. outfit. We're defending our town. So that's what happens there. Um, but I have a question for you guys. Okay, so the, the three amigos are wearing uh, mariachi costumes. Like, that's the classic mariachi costume, which is super identified with Mexican culture in Mexico. It's the sombrero, the short jacket, bow tie, and the jacket and pants are traditionally black with silver or white embroidery all over and that's what they have so uh but it's it's so strongly identified with mexico that unesco designated mariachi as an intangible cultural heritage in 2011 and some other intangible cultural heritages are tango falconry copiera batik reggae fado yoga flamenco like these are just so strongly identified with a particular culture so my question for you guys is is it offensive that they're wearing it <laughs> I think it's meant to be ridiculous, but like if they were going to make this movie now, do you think they could? Do you think it would still be funny? What do we think? Well, I know that if they made this movie now, <laughs> the three amigos would have to be Mexican actors. Mm. Uh, they couldn't be white guys. Like I think they're trying to make them look as ridiculous as possible. Yeah. And as three dopey white guys in mariachi costumes, it achieves that. But it's still like, oh. I think that these costumes were 
intentionally um, hyperbolic. Yeah, Hollywood. Yeah. And so now, if it could be, if it were done now, the costumes themselves would be as close to the genuine article as it could be, rather than like trying to make it uh, almost like a spoof. Very much like in this movie, the music itself is is not a spoof. It, uh, when they have portrayed live bands playing, that sounds to me like the real thing. So this was, in my view, a kind of overstated costume that I don't think they would do now. They, it would be kind of, uh, uh, you know... Offensive. <laughs> offensive. <laughs> That's a really interesting point, Tell though. Me. Like, if they were to do it now, the costumes themselves wouldn't be the butt of a joke. Because that would yeah, kind of that's not be, that's, that's not appropriate. But I don't know that they would do this movie. Well, also yet. the costumes of all the guys were, were just filthy and grubby. And I would guess, I don't know, that guys who are at the end of their workday who want to go get a beer in the tavern, especially if they want to pick up some ladies, are not going to go in the tavern filthy. Well, but They're, those were ruffians. Yeah. Those were not... Just regular working guys. <laughs> oh well, okay. Well, maybe <laughs> ruffians. Work. Maybe ruffians have a have an excuse to be dirty. But <laughs> okay. I don't know. I was also thinking too about how um, the, just the trope of like uh, white guys showing up in any old location, any old other culture, and like either accidentally or on purpose, like succeeding, mm. and how um, I feel like we were just like watching, a stumbling through it kind of. Yes, thing. we were just like watching. Um, I can't remember which Rambo it was, and I don't want to put down any of the, <laughs> any of the Rambos. I think it was one of the most recent ones. And which it's just Rambo like, just this idea of like, you know, he shows up, and even though these guys are bumbling through it, they're still successfully like first adored because the, because it seems like they're going to save everybody, and then um, adored because they do actually succeed in saving everyone, um, of course, with the help of the town. But um, so I thought that was kind of interesting and probably doesn't translate as well. Now. Have we answered yeah. your question? Yeah. But um, I, I would be genuinely curious, like, is this movie considered offensive or is it just so over the top and ridiculous? Um, and just the silliness level? And silly that it's kind of like... Although yeah. I was very impressed by Martin Short. I'd forgotten how good he really is good. I forgot that he's beautiful. Yeah, he's good <laughs> he looking. So, yeah. He's so good looking. He's a good looking guy and he's a good actor. And I, you know, I, he's, I've seen him recently that, well, he's... Kind of a lightweight, but not in. I think he oh, no, is you, actually. You gotta the, watch Only Murders in the Building. Have you been watching that? I haven't been watching that, okay. but I I did just see Martin Short and uh, Steve Martin at the Hollywood Bowl, and they still have this. Oh my gosh! I wrote down a note chemistry. that I wanted to ask you about that. Yeah, because this is the movie where they met. Yeah, and oh, they, is it Martin and Steve? Yeah. Okay. Steve Martin like played a song. Well, he's a banjo, banjo player. Yeah, on his banjo. And he's and he famous did, banjo. He he's like super skilled. Yeah. But they were just kind of like clearly old friends and sort of sweet together. And so it's nice to watch this and be like, oh, this is where it all started. Well, my first introduction to Martin Short being a millennial was uh, Father of the Bride when he plays the oh. kind of... Is he the like bridal he's, organizer? He's the wedding... It's wedding called planner? a wedding planner. We call it a wedding planner? <laughs> <laughs> bridal organizer, though. It's very official. It's definitely also part of the title. Um, I really liked uh, just going back to that whole, like, this being a movie where real people are in a real situation, but their real situation is like a movie. Did you guys like how the backdrop in the scene where they're singing the cowboy song out in the desert, the backdrop is right behind them. <laughs> like they're practically leaning on it. <laughs> we we want you, the audience, to see that this is not real. It's ridiculously not real. Yeah. Like I just... I loved it. We're going to really show it to you as an audience. But I think the turtle was real, right? Yeah, I, I read up on that. Um, like the animals are real. Oh, fun. Yeah, the turtle um, presence really did it for me. Yeah. The turtle was cute. He doesn't really talk though. Damn. Yeah. And the horses, the horses don't real. play the sing bass in the barrel. I think that might not be real either. <laughs> it might not be real. <laughs> oh, I also loved that moment when uh, Martin Short starts singing and Steve Martin looks over and it's like, wait. Oh, and they're like, oh, he's good. Oh, is he <laughs> yeah, no, I, wa I wasn't convinced <laughs> that that jealous. was actually, maybe it was actually Martin Short singing because that was a, a real baritone and he doesn't look like a baritone the voice of martin short well, i thought it was kind of high singing well he he had great range but he had i mean i'm pretty sure it's steve martin singing because he's he's actually no i think it was martin short singing. i think so too yeah well, i think so. all of them sing. sing they all three sing they all sing yeah, yeah. okay but um the thing about actors but they that's all not sing. something i checked up on so <laughs> yeah. i can't confirm that like that's Let's just we can find out it's just us using our own brains and uh our our knowledge Based on what we've just watched on yeah. the movie and not anything else. <laughs> um, okay, so let's get into uh, could they sew it? So what I'm going to go with here, 
just for math's sake, is that what they're sewing is 100 mariachi-style costumes. I'm just going to set that amount because the whole town comes out, and I'm just going to say it's 100. Did you count how many were in the final scene? I did not. I, just I was said, thinking about doing that, and then I was like... Oh. I just said, let's go with 100. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, so the costume that they all come out in in that final battle that they've supposedly just created uh, is a sombrero that's black with a white edge, a white shirt, a red ribbon as the bow tie, a jacket with white rickrack down the sleeve around the edge of the collar and two ovals on the chest, one on each side. And the pants have white rickrack down the outseam. The issues that we're going to run into with could they do this are skills, materials, time, and then we have just general other problems. (laughs) All right, so the time frame I think that we're given is overnight. Did you guys feel like it was... We have to sew all these today. It seemed like it was very fast. Have the battle tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, it seemed like it that's was it seemed like overnight. Might have I think generous. this is what we call suspension of disbelief. Well, that's what we're getting into is, do we have to suspend it? Yeah. Most people watch this couldn't care less if they could do it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Also, I'm going to strike out the sombreros and the white shirts. I'm going to say, we're not making those. We sent a rider on horseback to the next town. And he borrowed 100 black sombreros with white edges and 100 white shirts. Oh my gosh. Do you even know how to make a sombrero? No. Millinery is a whole different world. That's a whole different world. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I just want to jump in and say I really appreciate that because it is a movie, they could have all shown up at the end in exact copies of the Three Amigos Yes. I noticed that too. It was like a slightly, like, these are the townspeople's costumes. It's like, yeah. yeah, They've they've simplified it. It's not embroidery. It's very simple rickrack. And I thought that was great because that's like, in a movie... When you have background actors or extras, you don't necessarily put them in, in, in something as elaborate as the face characters, the main, the yes, heroes. Yes. And so I thought that was just another, like, we're building on this. I was awake for that part. Movie part. <laughs> <laughs> and when they came out, I was like, oh, it's perfect. It's like a supporting cast costume yes. yeah. to these, like, glittery, ridiculous things. Yeah, they look different. It's, like, slightly pared down. Yeah. So I thought that was great. Okay, so let's look at skills. Do they have the skills to do this? The skills they need for this project are cutting the ribbon and the rickrack, shaping them into the ovals, pinning them, and the machine or hand sewing them. And if we just look at the women in the town and what they're wearing and assume that they made all that stuff, they are overly qualified. Okay. So they do have the skills. All right, so let's move on to materials. Now, in order to accomplish this, not only are we saying that somebody went to the next town and borrowed all the shirts and all the sombreros, we're also saying that every person in this town already owns one black suit. <laughs> <laughs> because otherwise, this will not happen. Yeah. Although, is, now is that plausible? That they would each own a... Like a I don't think so. Like a, just pants and a... I mean, because those black suits were like pristine. That's true. That's true, of course. And they're all like working. Yeah. Right. Okay. So that's, that's a stretch. But that's what we're going to do right now. Okay. a stretch. <laughs> okay. Okay. So the first thing we need to make is the bow ties. Now, they are... I just looking at them, this is just my estimate. They're one inch wide red satin ribbon. Now, if, we're gonna, if we need 60 inches per bow tie and we have 100 townsfolk, we need 6,000 inches of ribbon. 6,000 inches of ribbon divided by 36 equals 167 yards of ribbon. If a standard ribbon spool holds 25 yards, 167 yards divided by 25, we need seven spools. So <laughs> I looked online, one inch red satin ribbon is at a 25 yard spool is $6. So if we need seven spools times $6, we just need $42. Now, can they afford that? In um, 1916 money, if we're going with $40 now is $40 then, like the equivalent of $40. Would probably be what, $8 you, I mean, or? they don't have 23 pesos for the telegram. Mm. So I don't know if they would have had $40. How many pesos to a dollar, do you know that? I do know that and I'm gonna get into that. Oh girl, do it. Okay. So, but also the bottom line, they don't have the internet, so none of that matters. They can't order anything to come before El Guapo shows up. <laughs> There's no Amazon. So forget you this. Have a drone that <laughs> drops schools. Of... All right. So now we're looking at the suits that they have. All all hundred of these uh, village folk have a black suit, as we've decided that they must. Um, I looked at a 44 as a sample because that would be like, uh, that's a man's size. And so the women would, it, it covers the range of outseam links, sleeve links, etc. So the jackets, uh, you need 26 inches times two, two sleeves. Uh, what I'm look, talking about now is the white rickrack. So we've got to buy the white rickrack. We need 26 inches times two for the sleeves. We need 24 inches for the collar. 
We need 14 inches times two for the chest ovals. The outseams of the pants need 42 inches by two, one for each leg. So the total rickrack that we need is 188 inches per costume. 188 divided by 36 is five and a quarter yards approximately per costume. Five and a quarter yards times 100 is 525 yards total. I checked online. You can buy 12 yards of one and three quarter inch jumbo white rickrack for $16. You need 44 spools at 16 each. That's $700. Oh man. <laughs> now, here's the thing that I looked into. Wait, wait, sorry to interrupt. But the the rickrack part is that the, that's the white. Ovals? That's the white. It's 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 a white ribbon that is wavy. Yeah. Sorry. Continue. Yeah. So it's like yeah, rickrack is. It was big in the 70s. Did it's you ever a, wear rickrack? Do you remember this? It's huh. not an adult man trim. <laughs> uh, I I doubt it's it. It's considered I... cute. I really like rickrack, but it's not a grown-up man look. It's, okay. Uh, cool. Yeah. 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 I mean, I really liked the black suits with the white rick rag. I thought it was so, like, graphic and visibly recognizable. Like, just great. Just yeah. No, great I agree. Design. It was very sharp and, and also in the background at the same time, which yeah. is a hard thing to do. All right. So, the Amigos were offered 100,000 pesos. All right. I looked it up. Um, at that time, $1 equaled 23.83 pesos. Back then. Okay. So, the amount that they were offered was $4,196.39. So that scene when they're all three in the bed and they're talking about what were you, you going to buy with your share? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> well, of course, $4,000 back then was the equivalent of what now? Probably $40,000. In 1916 or 1986? 1916. 1916. Oh, probably more than that. Probably $400,000. I mean, I don't think they could have bought a small town or a yacht or house. No, no, I don't they think so. They could have helped the homeless, though. What, what, what else do they want to do? They want to help the homeless. Oh, oh didn't he want to, oh, go he to, to buy New a car? He wanted to buy a car. Car. He wanted to buy a car. Right. car. Just a fancy, fat, flashy car. Be rich in New York yeah. and help the homeless. Such um, 80s goals, by the way. Yeah. Like that, those goals really dated the movie. Flashy <laughs> <laughs> car. Something to do with New York and Ball Street, and oh, maybe we should help the homeless. Yeah. Uh, but but I think that's part of the joke of the movie is we're even if we don't know how it calculates out, as an audience we know they're not being offered a lot of money, but they don't know that. <laughs> All right. So the the next issue we'll they run into is time. Um, if the time frame is one day, um, that's not very much. So you have to do it factory style which means instead of each woman taking a suit and doing all the rickrack herself, what they didn't show is the long table in the room where four people are cutting the rickrack to length, one length for the, all the pants, one length for all the sleeves, one length for all the chest ovals, and one length for all the collars. Even though some of the outfits will be shorter, you're just gonna cut it all the same length and you're gonna cut off what you don't need because you just gotta move fast. And one person is cutting all the red ribbon for the neck bows. So these then, are not going to be t tailored perfectly to No, their... <laughs> they don't have time for that. <laughs> they're not going to be tailored. Uh, they have some people who are pinning the rickrack to the pants. That's all they're doing. Pin, 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 pin. And then they have some people that are pinning all the rickrack to the sleeves and the collars and shaping the ovals, pinning them on. And then they do actually show this in the movie that they, they need to have some people who are just running things back and forth. Mm. picking up the pin stuff and running it to the sewing tables. The ladies who are sewing, once they're finished, somebody's got to pick it up and run it out of there because you can't ask them to get up from the sewing machine and walk over to the table and get the stuff. That just wastes too much time. So there's runners, there's pinners, there's cutters, and then we have the people sewing. And they show 10 people sewing. And I, I kept on coming up with estimates. Like I came up with one estimate that was 208 hours divided by 10 people working at the machines would give you 20.8 hours. And then I was like, well, what if you divided by, by 20, then you'd be down to like 10.4 hours. And then like, I just refuse. I was just like, no, this is not possible. <laughs> <laughs> I refuse to do any sort of working out the math in any way that makes it look like uh, this is possible. Cause I would never ever want to be in a costume shop where somebody came in and said, we need you to make 100 mariachi costumes overnight with this rec rack and these existing suits. And I also would never want for somebody to say, I heard on a podcast that you can make 100 mariachi costumes <laughs> overnight. But that scene you just described with the long table and the uh -huh. runners, is, is that kind of like what it would be in, in real life? Yeah, yeah. So that's what she's doing. She's taking the scene that we see in a movie and yeah. being like, oh, that happened overnight? Well, 
let me actually do the work to figure out if this is humanly possible. And a lot of times it ain't. A lot of times it ain't. And this is one example of that. And, and we'll, least, we'll get into like, do we care yeah. that it ain't. A lot of times, I mean, generally we don't care. We love it. We're, we love the movie Magic. But it's kind of cool just to think like, well, could, could that happen? Yes. And the reality, it's so interesting because we... We suspend disbelief around stuff like this all the time. But there's mm -hmm. other p parts of the plot that we, we have to adhere to actual truth. But when it comes to sewing, oh, yeah. we Ooh, never adhere to the truth. It just happens. And it's so interesting to be like, oh, actually, this is That's really totally impossible. Yeah. <laughs> well, of course, from my perspective, the, the Turpin 601 airplane, the biplane, mm -hmm. the German biplane, and from a distance, I thought, well, that looks like a biplane. But from up close, it is a. It appears to me. I'll have to. I'm gonna. Of course, when we get done with this, I'm gonna look it up. The Turpin 601. See if it really was a biplane from the 1916 era, or if it's a current one. To me, it looked more current. Had a ah. had a swept wing, slightly swept wing. Nice. Um, yeah. So that's the kind of thing that that I would look at. All right. So now, part of the reason I wanted to talk about this movie with you guys is this is a uh, this this movie is kind of notorious for its sewing moment. Um, and I have two little stories about this. One is um, that moment where Martin Short is in the old lady's face and he's like, so very old ones, so like the wind. <laughs> um, if you work in a costume shop ever, you have had someone get in your face and say that. And it's annoying when you haven't seen the movie yet. And then after you've seen the movie, it's still super annoying. Oh, that's so annoying. Pushing you to work faster? I mean, literally quoting the movie in your face. Yes. Like, but also... And thinking it's funny. Yeah. But also wanting you to sew faster. Oh, I see. Okay. Yes. I mean, this is the thing about costume shops is it's... You always have a deadline and it's always less time than would be nice. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So now... Okay. You guys, did you notice something about the sewing? Um, with the sewing machines. Oh, there, it's, oh, I was trying to look out for this. The, was it threaded right? Close. Was there thread in it? There's no thread in those machines. There's no thread? Yes. No thread. High five. Well, we that, did it. <laughs> now, people cite this as a uh, movie mistake that it's not threaded, but they focus on those machines three different times. There are close-ups of the needle with the fabric and nothing, no trail of sewing behind it. This is clearly on purpose. Like we are meant to see it and be like, there's no thread. Oh my God, there's no thread. And then they show it to us again. And then they show it to us a third time just to make sure we didn't miss it. Well, and of course, it's just a funny, I missed like a silliness. I, I, I admit, but what I noticed was how beautiful those machines were. How the they were really beautiful. The antique machines and the part of them were done actually with a hand crank, but the hand crank was uh, had a had a, a reduction gear so that the one revolution of the hand crank crank maybe made ten revolutions of the main wheel and mm -hmm. the thing went up really fast. So I, I noticed the me the mechanics. The beautiful of those. machines. Yeah, mm -hmm. and just how beautiful those machines were made, and it, they they were probably the real machines, right? They looked pretty genuine. I'm sure that they're rented from a prop house. Yeah, yeah I mean, in LA there are so many uh, just niche businesses that support movies. There's like automobile um, houses that provide the correct era cars and yeah. there's airplane yards and stuff like that. So yeah, so those machines, so yeah, some of them had a treadle, a foot pedal, and some of them had a crank. And I've never seen one with a crank. I kind of wondered if that was the real thing. Oh no, I mean, I was looking at the gear reduction. It was clearly- It was quite smooth, like yeah, it was real. Yeah, it was clearly uh, doing the, the rotation the way, yeah. it, the way it would I mean, work. that would only be a problem because you want your hands free. That's why you have a, a foot pedal or a treadle. It'd be hard to well, hence no, have one no hand. thread. <laughs> I mean, I guess if you don't want to sew at all, that's a great way to do it. Um, I actually worked at a shop that had really interesting, weird old Singer industrial machines, and these had a weird like a push button, and then you you crank it, and you just kind of listen like you're cracking a safe until it you're at about the right stitch length you want, and you try it. They were really old. The first day I worked there, I turned to um, one of the other girls at another table and I was like, please show me how to set the stitch length. I can't figure this out. And she was like, oh yeah, uh, these are all known from the Getty. And I was like, really? And she was like, no, they're just old. <laughs> well, you know, that hand crank thing, you, joke, you, 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 yeah. you point out that there's... You're like the Getty Villa? I was like, I was like the Getty rinse machinery? <laughs> That's so cool. And she's like, no, you're stupid. <laughs> Well, that, that hand crank thing, actually, now that I think about it, it probably really was a hand crank, but it could have been that was fabricated 
to let the viewer uh, understand that these are all manually operated without having to show the oh the show foot, feet all the time yeah the feet mm -hmm. so um, it, it could have it looked to me like a, a genuinely you know operated thing yeah with the hand crank. that's but something you, I should have looked up is yeah but if you say that that's unrealistic would you know, you would have I to mean, have two hands uh, I don't know I mean machines aren't always ergonomic maybe it, those did exist for a bit yeah yeah I mean I, I want two hands yeah I should have looked that up but you know maybe they're more specifically for heavier fabric or leather or something like that or I don't know what do I know but then they wouldn't be going so quickly they were going very quickly yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you know huh. anything about this, Father? Uh, no, no. <laughs> yeah. This part, no. This is not Roman history, so. Yeah. <laughs> I really thought it was great that they showed more than one woman sewing. And also that Martin Short was sewing. Mm -hmm. That was delightful. And he was just like working busily and looking up. It wasn't like a, please admire me while I sew this. <laughs> <laughs> but, you, but you did that anyway. Yeah. So I like, admired oh, him. He's so I admired him because he wasn't asking for it. <laughs> <laughs> So could they sew it? Um, no, because I refuse to live in a world where we do that sort of job overnight. Mm. Bam. Mm. Okay. Okay, but are they motivated? Let's get into, would they sew it? Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's simple, yes. Um, okay, but what do we think about it? Let's get into, should they sew it? Also, yes. I mean, yeah. I mean, they should. Well, they have a... unless somebody comes up and you say, actually, my thought was all the sewing the guys are going to ride into town. The bad guys are going to ride into town, and they're all the townspeople are going to be up in the balconies, and they're suddenly going to throw a sewn net over the bad guys. Oh, yeah. That's what I thought they were doing. And see, I thought they were going to put it all in a hot air balloon and then fly <laughs> oh, up into the, into the And then I was like, oh wait, this is another movie that this I fell asleep movie. for. <laughs> yeah, that would be pretty. That would be pretty tight. And then show. I, I was like, they're going to. So they're gonna make a prom dress that was really ugly, and oh, then they're gonna go to prom, and the guy was gonna love them. That's another movie. For me. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so we just get confused about what our plot, our sewing plot devices are gonna be. Um, you no. know, they almost did establish that it was gonna be a net with that cool pinata thing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 I was thinking a net of some sort. And to, I have to a trap feeling them. that that's an actually a genuine pinata construction. I don't know. But it sure was cool looking. It was yeah. so cool looking. Yeah. I, I yeah. have a feeling that that's the real deal. You know, it's like a it's like a um, maypole. You know, yeah. it's, it's yeah. same idea, different culture. But the um, plethora of pinatas thing with the uh, plethora. I feel that you're mad at something else. <laughs> so good. Oh, yeah, it's just early cycle, psychotherapy. I love yes. psychoanalysis. <laughs> um, I also have to say, I just loved the turn when the Germans were became. It came out that the German like general was a fan of his that was of the or of the three amigos because yeah. I was watching it and you know I'm always kind of like like anyone watching a movie you're like how are they going to get out of this and uh, I was like oh this is perfect the German guy is a fan um, <laughs> so it, it kind of just took me by surprise which is always well, a sign of, of good writing the, but he was a fan the and then it, and then he flipped to now I'm going to kill you yes yes well that's the other but it was just know. enough time to kind of get them back on their feet yeah well that's the other DSX machine because. How are they going to get out of this? Well, of course, the German guys had an airplane. Yes. Conveniently yeah. parked out in yeah. the desert, ready to go. And all I had to do was jump in it. Although that, that would be... The number of people who are in that airplane was would have far exceeded the its, weight limit. its limit, even though it was kind of bouncing around. Like oh, it was man. Over. We need an airplane. We need an airplane. There's, there's no room for these people in this airplane <laughs> yeah and also how long would it take before the guys hanging onto the wings would just be ripped just off by the wind <laughs> we need a math person in here <laughs> um yeah so much suspension of disbelief but um yeah but that's they definitely... all, all cinema is that way i mean this is just slightly over the top but not not it's not so bad that it all oh, this whole ed wood um documentary out you know plan nine from outer space the worst director ever that his I have seen the Johnny Depp yes yes of that's that. it yeah, yeah right, that's yeah. what I'm talking about how, how he he didn't care he just shot scenes he didn't care if the cardboard sets fell over during the scene <laughs> you know he just said great beautiful next I think this movie is a good example of um everything being a, a suspension of disbelief but we've covered yes. we've covered a number of movies where like it's totally based in reality until we get to the sewing part. And then, that's true. And then that part is just completely unbelievable and, uh, and inconceivable in the time. I mean, I feel like most of the movies we cover. And this one's cover, almost more realistic in the sewing part 
And way sillier in the rest and of the And the whole rest of the movie, yeah. Um, so it, this is an interesting one to look at because it is all suspension of disbelief except um, well, it's supposed I was, to be realistic. It was, I was perfectly in suspension of disbelief during the sewing scenes because I don't know anything about it. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, there they go. Well, now you know that it was impossible. Yeah, I certainly had no idea. Well, it seemed a little impossible. And mainly impossible because they weren't sewing anything at all. Because there was was no no thread. thread. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Quite literally. I'm I'm sorry that detail escaped my notice. And there was no union rep there (laughs) telling them they got to go to sleep now. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I really enjoyed that Ned is all about the money. And he's the hot guy. Like, so Ned, Ned has a couple different times where he's like, have them pay us now. You know, Ned Nederlander. Plus, I love that you think he's the hot guy. Well, I mean, it's shown by the movie. He's the one who gets the biggest kiss at the end. But well, I the feel like that's get like little smooches, and then... But that's the irony is that he's the nerdiest. I thought, and so he you're talking about Martin kiss. Short. Character. Yeah, yeah. Now, where does that girl come from? In that beautiful she's, babe. She's is, another Deus Ex Machina. She's in a magical she, babe that appears yeah, she out of just nowhere. appears out of nowhere. But there's no. Well, that's not so much me about the, uh, about the Deus Ex Machina. Yeah, that's, that's true. More it doesn't of, solve a problem. More it's of just like a surprise. more of like. Did she just was she like uh, the daughter of one of the producers and and he says she's got to be in the scene somewhere no, in the movie. My point is that there's I think just they wanted some, a babe. Yeah, they just wanted a babe, a but, town's but babe. But they're all babe. They're all they beautiful. They needed a new babe. They needed a town, <laughs> new town's babe that had her clevis propped up. Yeah. Why? To, to make a funny moment when he gets yes. the biggest kiss because he's the smallest guy. To punctuate I know, but, that he but is several, a pimp. Several of those guy. women were, were absolutely gorgeous. Oh, they were, but they were love interests. They weren't yeah. hot girls. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I guess that, that <laughs> oh, come part... come on, Father. Don't share the Madonna that, War that, complex. That part, I, my suspension of disbelief was completely intact <laughs> until that. You know, did we see that in the silent movie? In the beginning when they had the silent movie, was there a hot lady? Like, the idea of... Somebody comes out at the end and kisses the hero. Mm. Did we? Did, was that in the silent movie? She was definitely like a busty blonde. Something like that. In the movie, yeah. I don't know if she kissed him at the end. Though, but I don't I think did. she did. I wonder if that's a. But that was to me like a huh, like that was the only point in the movie where I just thought I'm watching a stupid end of a movie. Well, that was like in Pretty in Pink when the hot when Christy Swanson suddenly comes out and kisses Ducky out of nowhere. Oh my God, it's perfect. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, maybe that that's a was classic that. Movie did that? Yeah, was I that agree. Prior to. Uh, yeah, that is just another movie. But I, I agree with prior. Megan that yeah. that's just a movie trope that at the end suddenly there's a hot lady who there's suddenly a hot the lady man. who who rewards the man. There's a hot lady who rewards the man for whatever he's done. But and at least she could have had an appearance in the back of the crowd where he said, "Oh, there's a pretty woman," and then come forward. But she never. I couldn't tell that she ever appeared. No, she wasn't hadn't appeared. But the whole yeah. point, actually, the whole point is that you haven't seen her at all. Yeah. You haven't seen her at all, and now there's this like magical babe that's gonna appear and reward Martin Short for being small and well. That ruined successful. it. That ruined the whole movie for me. No, no, no. <laughs> just, just kidding. <laughs> I really loved seeing the three of them in descending order. Mm-hmm. The heights of Chevy Chase, Steve Martin, and Martin Short were just a, such a like beautiful line of perfection. From you know, and they danced so well. Their dan- their dancing, their was dancing terrific. was so fun, and just all of the pratfalls. I mean, I, I, if someone is like on a thing going down and they like fake plant into the ground or if they fall through books or just all that stuff i will laugh so hard and it's weird because i feel like it wasn't like this when i was younger but now i love pratfalls more than anything like if just someone, the stupider the better yeah the stupider the better there's a video of like a this is actually not that funny but it's an orca going up into the ocean or going up into the air from the ocean and then it lands on a boat and i just think it's so <laughs> <That's funny>. <laughs> okay uh, my question to you guys was is there is a considerable amount of tequila drinking. And there's one scene where all the guys on horseback... <laughs> well, have, we had a drinking expert here. Yeah. Have, ...have a clear yeah. uh, bottle. And the bottle is, you know, uh, supposedly full of tequila. And they're, they're like, belting down... I was noticing that, too. I was so glad we're covering this. Yes. And, and, and they're belting down this tequila. And it's I don't know if horrifying. either of you guys have ever drunk tequila. Well, these guys on horseback were drinking enough tequila so they would be falling off the horse. Well, I think that was another funny movie moment of it looked like water, and it clearly was water. Yeah, right, (laughs) right. It was supposed to be tequila, yes. No, the degree of the swigging, I was kind of wincing at first because I was like, if I was on the receiving end of this bottle, I would be barfing five seconds yeah, into this. Yeah, it's just super funny. The taste is so gross, and they're just like guzzling it. It's yeah. splashing everywhere. It's like, <laughs> and then the bottles are full again. Like, they're, they're never yes. run out. It's just like <laughs> a constant splashing supply of tequila. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. 
Um, but yes, did, did that influence their um, confidence, <laughs> their decision making, <laughs> their horseback riding, their rogue shooting? Well, there are some people who say that tequila should actually, especially especially high grade tequila, should be illegal. <laughs> and enough tequila make you hallucinate? I'll bet. Do you think this movie was all a dream? Are they in a hallucinate? Did they hallucinate this? They're actually still in Hollywood and they still have jobs. (laughs) You know, when I, when my sister and I were out in New Mexico, we went shooting and I had never gone, these are like, this is like nine millimeter, you know, pistols. And I was really impressed by how we had to go through this whole procedure, this whole protocol. Okay, you're going to stand here. Well, of course we had ear protectors on. You're going to stand in front. Here is the, you know, you're you're only going to hold the gun in a certain position which is down and away. You're never going to point it anywhere near anybody else except the target. This is the safety. This is how you operate the safety. When you're ready to shoot, you say, okay, I'm ready. We said safety off. I think that's what we said. Safety off. And you make sure that everybody is behind you. And then we shoot at the target. Safety back on. The gun is, is handed, pointing straight down away to the next person with the safety on, of course. And he insisted that we do this whole uh, kind of choreographed dance of how you safely handle a firearm. And then then you see these, like what we just saw, this movie where guns are just, you know, people are like waving guns in people's faces. And those are all blanks or they're supposed to not be real bullets. And of course, it also brings up the whole thing about live ammunition on a set. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? That was really wild to see that predictive in in light of recent events yeah i think probably though that that's always been an issue and i'm glad they brought it up in this like you know Mm -hmm. that's an actual bullet that hit me kind of thing and look he took it too i kind of wish he'd said i'm taking this my union rep like you know (laughs) (laughs) but he just says you're in big trouble well remember he doesn't know he has a union rep he probably doesn't even have oh yeah actually in 1916 he probably well, also, the, uh, I don't what, know. I don't what know was her name? The unceremonious way he got fired. Yeah. They have nothing representing yeah. them. So who was that uh, That famous actress who started the uh, screenwriter? Talking about Mary Pickford? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was... She started the United Artists, which was their production company, but... Okay, so this is just a little bit before unions would have been represented. But she was kind of anti-union. She really believed in, like, working yourself to death. Yeah. (laughs) And she didn't want anyone to interfere. Like, it was just, it was just interference to her. Like, oh, costumers are tired or, oh, you know, you guys want a break. Too bad. Because I remember I was, I did a pilot about her and researching other things and coming across that and being like, oh, this is interesting. She's not, she's like very, um... She wanted the, the the most efficient way for her to be a movie star, if I remember correctly, which was not to have people taking breaks. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit of a, like a bad theater attitude of like, just keep, just work at it, throw more people at it, mm-hmm. stop whining, work all night long, do everything, do everything all by yourself, struggle, you know. I don't and then know. walk off the door on the street. Well, and then yeah. uh, you're if you're at the top, you pocket the money. If you're at the bottom, you just keep working until you die. The first time I visited Liza in Hollywood, we were at some outdoor cafe. It was really beautiful weather. And there's all these young people in nice cars, like sitting out in the cafes in the middle of the day. And um, I said to Liza, I don't, where is all this, where's all the money being generated? What's, what's going on here? How, how come these people are out here, you know, idling their time away? And she said... Liza says, well, these are the ones who just got laid off. The other ones are working 70-hour weeks, and we can't see them. <laughs> it sort of related to the bullets being real or not and cowboy school skills in general. Um, do you know Gower Gulch right by Sunset Gower Studios? Yeah. Um, it's called Gower Gulch because that's where cowboys would hang out while they were waiting to get cast in cowboy movies in wow. the early days. Wow. Yeah. It's not like a shopping complex. It's like Starbucks and a Rite Aid and stuff, but it's still called Gower Gold. It's Ga- right Gower? Gower, because right, the, the street is called yeah, Gower Street. Yeah, it's right street. on Gower and Sunset. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Gower really Gower close Go- to where I live, actually. That's, that's um, wild. And I also read an article about with Steve Martin where he's talking about his rope skills. Yeah. He had a job when he was a teenager at Disneyland. And he was, I think he was in Frontier Town, and part of his job was in the gift shop selling trick ropes uh-huh. so no he had to get in a costume and learn the roping like he really has those skills and that's like another layer of, of movie and reality is like uh, these actors at that time would have really had horse skills he really has roping skills they all have some singing skills it's just kind of cool well we know Steve Martin I missed sort of off topic a little bit but 
um, has distinguished himself in the world of bluegrass as, yeah. be, as being a top flight banjo picker. Uh, the, 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 the god of bluegrass style banjo is Earl Scruggs. Earl Scruggs from North Carolina. He's passed away, but I, he's, he was the one who established the, the, the banjo picking style that we now associate with bluegrass. And um, Steve Martin, when he was very young, had a banjo and was determined to learn. So he had old, I guess they could have been, they're probably since 33s, but he had old records of, of uh, Earl Scruggs. And he would play them on 16 or whatever, the lowest speed, bonk, bonk. Bonk, oh, that's bonk. really cool. And he learned note by note what Earl Scruggs did. Wow. And now he tours with Steep Canyon Rangers, who are also from this area. Oh, originally. that's who they played with. Yeah. I saw them at the Hollywood Bowl. Yes. So it was Martin Short, uh, Steve Martin, and the Steep Canyon Rangers came yeah. out. And yeah, they, they were. I, I even met some. They I was used, like, I knew there was a North Carolina thing that They happened. used to play <laughs> at the yeah. Eno Festival. And I remember I, I saw the fiddle player on the street once. And I, this is before they became famous. And I was trying to hustle a fiddle player for one of my bands. I said, "Hey, can you come? You know, come to it." And she said, "No, no, no. We're we're going on uh, tour. We're gonna we're gonna be in Stockholm next week." And I'm like, "Okay, we're gonna be big shots. Maybe yeah. not. Maybe <laughs> we're kind not. Kind of a big deal. <laughs> Do you want to start him on a instrument? How about? Well, this is off topic, but how about piano? Are you I was gonna, gonna say, are you gonna force him to take piano lessons? No, we've, we've got a piano in the garage. The, although the piano tuner. It reached his limit, which is three broken strings. He won't come anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all right. Well, the thing with piano is that my, my, my mother forced me to take it, and I hated it, and, and I hung in there. And I never got very good at it, but I benefited my whole life from that experience. Because it really, really, tre- really teaches you. As a matter of fact, to this day, if I'm working on an arrangement and I come to a part that just doesn't make sense, I go right over the keyboard figure it out on the keyboard then transfer it over to whatever instrument even if he never learns how to play another instrument just the how many years did you do piano do you think oh maybe not even a year i was just i was just a little kid but my mother insisted that i do it and i'm glad she did um all right let's wrap this up okay okay we're gonna do in conclusion we're gonna do a lightning round of yes no megan you're gonna ask me could they and i'm gonna shout out the answer and okay I'm going to ask you, would they? You're going to shout out the answer. And then why don't we just both turn to Todd and say, but should they? And you say your answer. Okay, And cool. then I'll just read this little end script. Okay, great. <laughs> All right, in conclusion. Liza, could they? No. Megan, would they? Yes. But, but should, should they? They, they should. <laughs> All right, that solves that. Listener, do you want to see pictures, suggest a movie, or leave a five-star review? Well, that's super because we have an Instagram, we have an email, and we have um, somewhere to leave reviews. Our Instagram is called There's No Thread. Go check it out. Special thanks to our guest, our dad, Mr. Todd Gambling, for joining us today. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Keep it threaded.